have questions. Questions like, why is it called a building if it's already built? Why is there no egg in eggplant? And do penguins have knees? But some questions are more important than others. We gave a survey to find your most asked questions. Questions like, how do I hear God's voice? How can I deal with difficult people? And what's the answer for all of my stress? Every week, we're gonna answer your most asked questions and discover God's best plan because you asked for it. Well, I want to begin by asking you a couple of questions. First of all, have you ever been bitter toward God because of something you think he caused or he allowed to happen to you? So have you ever been bitter toward God? Second, have you ever been disappointed with God that he did not do something that you asked for or you thought that you deserved? Third question, have you ever been angry with God because of something that happened to you or someone you love that you knew that he could have prevented. So have you ever been bitter toward God? Have you ever been disappointed with God? Have you been angry at God? But let's change it up a little bit. Have you ever been frustrated? I mean simply frustrated, not with God, but with life. Have you ever been frustrated with things that have happened in your life. Well, this morning we're beginning a brand new series that's going to be different than any we've ever done before because this series is a series about answering the questions that you have asked. We have been asking you to give us questions over the last several weeks, and you've given us questions. Now, some of the questions were questions like this. Why is it so cold in here? I think that one came from my wife. Well, cold is relative, isn't it? For some of us, it's cold. For some of us, like for me, I'm about to put a sweat on up here. And so those aren't the kind of questions that we're going to answer as we do this series for the next six weeks. We're going to be answering questions that you've asked us about the Bible, about God, and about Life And the question that we're going to answer today deals with suffering and the sovereignty of God. It focuses on one of the most well-known verses in the Bible and one of the greatest promises of God found in the Bible. It is a verse that comforts us, and yet at the same time, it is a verse that confuses us. Is God able, this is the question, is God able to take all things that happen in our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and somehow mix them together to bring about good for us and in us? The verse we're going to focus on is Romans 8.28. And here's the question that came in. How can Romans 8.28 be true? Now, that question really caught my attention because I believe the Bible is true. And yet, when we think about that verse, Romans 8, 28, this verse that brings us a lot of comfort, I come to realize that, that when we're going through pain, when we're having problems in our life, when tragedy strikes us, we oftentimes look at that verse and we ask ourselves, how can it possibly be true? Another person asked this question, does everything happen for a reason? 
Is everything a part of God's plan? And then there were other questions about suffering and pain and God. Someone asked, why does God allow people to go through struggle after struggle? Another person said, how do you deal with anger for God when you're sick? And then finally someone asked this, why does it feel like God tests some people, specifically me, was the question, more than others? So is Romans 8.28 true? Well, I want us to read it together, and it's going to be here on the screen, but I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. So Romans 8.28, let me, let me read it for us. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now let me begin by telling you what this verse doesn't say. First of all, it doesn't say that everything that happens is good. There are plenty of things that happen in life that aren't good. The death of a spouse, the death of a child, the death of a parent. That's not good. A terminal or chronic illness or a tragic accident, that's not good. The loss of a job or income that, that gives you the ability to take care of your family and meet their needs and now you don't have that ability and, and you lose everything you have because you can't make money, that's not good. The unfaithfulness or abuse of a spouse, and I could go on and on. The Bible never says these sinful, painful, hurtful things are good. But what it does say is God works in them and God works through them to bring about good in our life. Now let me tell you the second thing that this doesn't say. It doesn't say everything will turn out good. That's what some of us think. But this verse doesn't say everything will turn out good. The truth is, the outcome is never good for some people. And for other people, even though it appears that their lives may be filled with good, we know in the end, it isn't good. Now, if we're going to properly understand this verse, or any verse in the Bible... The first thing we have to do is we have to look at the context in which the verse appears. And so Romans chapter 8 is the context in which this verse appears. And, and this is one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. It begins with no condemnation. There is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. Even though we're guilty of sin... Even though we continue to struggle with sin, those of us who belong to Jesus, we will not be condemned. It then ends, it climaxes with no separation. We're told nothing can separate us from the love of God for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Not death, not life. Not angels, not demons, no power above, no power below will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no separation. Those are things that each and every one of us should rejoice over. And yet in the midst of this, crouched between the no condemnation and the no separation, we see suffering. 
And, and as we read about this suffering, God gives his children some promises. Some not so good promises and some very good promises. And so I want to give you these three promises today that will help you understand that Romans 8.28 is true. We can take it to the bank. First of all, suffering is to be expected. Write it down. Take it to the bank. Suffering is to be expected. Being a follower of Jesus in no way exempts us from the troubles of life. There is a false teaching that has infected the church worldwide. It, it says that if you trust Jesus and you have enough faith, then everything will be good in your life. You'll have lots of money and you'll have lots of health. If you have enough faith, you can name it and you can claim it. And though the Bible teaches that God can and God does bless us, the Bible also teaches us that this life that we live, this world in which we inhabit, is filled with pain and problems. Here's what Job said. He said, life is short and it's full of trouble. Boy, that's to the point, isn't it? Life is short. Now, when you're 13 and you're looking at someone that's in their 80s or in their 90s, you're thinking to yourself, life isn't short. But you get 58, 68, and older, and you begin to say, life is short. And the longer you live, the more you come to realize that this life in which we live, it is filled with trouble. Jesus said it this way. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You see, being a Christian does not exclude us from pain and problems. It doesn't exclude us from suffering and heartbreak that is common to everyone. I want you to listen to what Paul said in verses 16 and 17 of Romans 8. He said, we are God's children. That's good news, isn't it? And then he said, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. You know what an heir is? An heir means that we get the inheritance of the estate. So what belongs to the Father belongs to us. That's good news, isn't it? So we're God's children. We are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So the glory that God receives, we will receive. But then he says this, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. He goes on in verse 22 and he tells us that all creation is suffering. And all creation is waiting. We live in a world that is filled with suffering and pain every day. Children go to bed hungry. Every day, people die. Every day, someone abuses and misuses another person. Every day, bad things happen. You know, sometimes our suffering is a result of living in a fallen world. You see, all creation has been infected and affected by sin. We have natural disasters because of sin. Hurricanes and tornadoes. We have fires and droughts and floods. All of these things are a result of sin. And sometimes 
Our suffering is a result of living in a fallen world. Sometimes our suffering is a result of being a part of a fallen race. Every human being is infected by sin, and every human being has been under the control of sin. And because people are infected by sin and live under the control of sin, they do bad things. People drive drunk, people steal, people kill, people cheat. And oftentimes those they hurt have nothing to do with their sinful choice. They are the victims. So sometimes our suffering is simply the result of living in a fallen race. And then sometimes our suffering is the result of being a fallen person. We are sinners. And because we're sinners, we make sinful choices. We make bad choices. And our choices result in pain. And our choices result in suffering. And then there are times that our suffering comes directly from the hand of God. There are times that God disciplines his children to get their attention. So Paul says that suffering is a part of living. Suffering is a part of life. You need to expect it. Don't be caught off guard when bad things happen to you. Bad things are going to happen to you. And you need to get ready. But in the midst of this, Paul tells us two things that I believe help us. First of all, he reminds us, don't look at the scoreboard until the game is over. (laughs) Don't do that. Because if you do, you may be surprised. In Romans 8 verse 18, Paul says this, Yet what we suffer now is nothing to compare to the glory he will reveal to us later. Did you get that? What we suffer now is nothing It pales in comparison to the glory we will receive. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small. They won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at all the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. The world, this world that we inhabit right now, it's not our home. Don't live for this world. God has something better for us. Something our eyes have not seen. Something our minds cannot conceive. So don't get caught up in this present suffering. Rather, fix your eyes on the future hope. You see, it's not over. The last chapter of your life has not been written. There is something far better awaiting you than any momentary suffering we will ever face. You may never have ease and comfort here in this life. And I know that's not very encouraging. But some of you may never have ease and comfort in this life. But if you belong to Jesus, the next life is going to be worth anything that you go through in this life. So the game isn't over until the game is over. Secondly, we have a ringer. You know, isn't it good when you're playing a game to have a ringer on your team? 
someone you know that you can go to that can, that can sink that winning basket, that can score that winning touchdown, that can stop the other team from, from moving it across the goal line. Isn't it good to have a ringer? Well, we have a ringer. In verses 26 and 27, it says this, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Uh, For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Uh, The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, helps us. The Holy Spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit pleads on our behalf. You see, we don't face the problems of this life alone. We have a helper, an all-powerful big brother who is walking through life with us. So suffering is to be expected. But in the midst of our suffering, we have hope because the game's not over. And we have help. The Holy Spirit is with us. But here's the second truth. Suffering is to be expected, but God is sovereign. Say that with me. God is sovereign. Say it again. God is sovereign. You see, in the midst of our pain, God is still in control. He has never stepped off his throne. And even though he doesn't cause all things to happen, he does cause all things to work for good in the lives of those that love him. Listen again to Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now there are several words in that verse that are extremely important. The first word is the word we. We know. But who is the we? Well, to understand who the we is, we need to go a little bit further in the verse. And as we do, we discover that the we are those who love God. Those who are called. You see, this promise isn't everyone. This promise is to the saved. You see, everyone who loves God, who belongs to Jesus, can claim this promise. Now, that is wonderful news. And let me tell you why. Because there are a lot of people who can preach way better than I can. And there are a lot of people who can sing more beautifully than I can. And there are a lot of people who can give more money than I can. But I want you to hear me. No one can love God any more than I can or you can. So you love God with all your heart. And so let me ask you, do you love God? Because the truth of the matter is, listen, the truth of the matter is many who claim to love God don't really love God. Jesus said this. He said, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who really love me. Did you get that? Those who accept what I say and obey it, those are the ones who really love me. You see, God's promises are for God's children who love him. Not everyone can say everything works together for my good. Now, perhaps you're here and you're thinking, well, I'm not a Christ follower, I'm not a Christian, and everything is going good in my life. But may I say to you that your life isn't over. And one day, someday, you're going to die. And one day, someday, you're going to stand before God 
your creator. And because you have rejected him, you're going to be separated from him forever. And that's not good. And so if you don't know Jesus and you think everything's going good in your life, don't get arrogant, don't get cocky, because one day things are going to take a turn and it's not going to be good. So the we are those who love God, the saved. The second word I want you to focus on is that word know. We know. You see, there are some things we will never know. The Bible says the secret things belong unto God. But there are other things that you and I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Job said this. He said, I know my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth in the last. In other words, Job said, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have a Redeemer. And in the end, he will rule over everything. Paul said this, he said, I know whom I believed in and I am sure that he is able to guard what I've committed to him until that day. What Paul was saying is, I know that the God who saved me will keep me saved. I know that. John said this, he said, I've written these things to you so that you can know you have eternal life. John is saying that each and every one of us can go through life knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have eternal life and that we're going to heaven when we die. So there are things that we can know. And Romans 8.28 is one of those things. God takes everything and he uses it for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. As surely as God created everything out of nothing, as surely as Jesus is God's son who came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and rose from the grave to pay for our sins. As surely as those things are true, this verse is true. You can take it to the bank. God uses the good things. God uses the bad things. God uses the celebrations. God uses the heartbreaks. God uses our victories, and God uses our defeats. All of that he uses to bring about good in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be able to see it this side of eternity. The truth of the matter is we may never see what good comes out of something that God is up to. But somehow, someway, God takes it all, the good and the bad, the painful and the joyful, and he brings about good in the lives of those who love him. Now, how does he do that? How does he do that? Well, the answer is God's providence. God's providence. That word providence comes from two Greek words, um, which mean before and to see. So, providence, when speaking of God, it means God sees beforehand. You see, God sees everything that is going to happen before it happens. And because God is able to see everything that happens before it happens, He is able to orchestrate things in our future through those things to bring about good in our life. And so whatever this life or Satan throws our way, God has in advance already prepared a plan to bring about good for us. God causes everything to work for our good. Now the Greek word work together there is the Greek word synergeo, which is the word we get our word synergy from. 
Now, synergy is when the individual parts of something come together and as a whole, they have a greater effect than the individual parts ever could. And so when it says that all things are working together, what that means is God is bringing all the pieces together. And when he brings all the pieces of our life together, somehow all of the pieces the good and the bad, the painful and the joyful, the celebrations and the heartaches. When he brings it all together, he mixes it in a pot. He is able to use it as it is combined to bring good in our life. You see, an individual event in your life may not be good. And that an individual event in your life, in and of itself, may not ever bring good. But when that individual event in your life is mixed with the other events in your life that God is orchestrating in you and through you and for you, it brings about good in your life. Now, the final word that's important here is that word good. What does that mean? Well, good may not necessarily mean that we make millions of dollars or we live in a mansion or we drive a Mercedes. Good may not mean that we live a pain-free life or a problem-free life, but what it does mean is God is ultimately working everything out for good even though we can't see it. Now, Joseph knew this. Joseph, whose brothers sold him into slavery. Joseph, who was cast into prison unjustly. This Joseph knew this. Listen to what he said in Genesis chapter 50. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended all for good. You see, mankind was doing this for one reason, but God took it, mixed it in the blender with the other things that were happening in life, and he brought about good. David knew this. David said in Psalm 119, my suffering was good for me. But it, for it caused me to pay attention to your decrees, your word, your law. God is sovereign. God works all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Suffering is to be expected. God is sovereign. But here's the third truth. God has a purpose. In the midst of my suffering that happens in this life, God has a purpose. Listen to what it says in the latter part of verse 28 and verse 29. He starts off by reminding us we are called according to his purpose. And then he says this in verse 29. For God knew his people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And this is important. The good that God brings out of everything in our lives may not be good by the world's standards. You see, God's purpose for you is not to make you happy. God's purpose for you is not to make you healthy. God's purpose is not that you become rich or famous. His purpose for you is found in verse 29. His purpose is that you become like his son. God wants you who love him to become like Jesus. That's his purpose for your life. And he will use anything and everything in your life as a believer to accomplish that.
A.W. Tozier said this. He said, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it solves a great deal of anxiety. Think about it. When I come to that point where I realize that God is using everything in my life, those minor frustrations, those painful heartaches, the celebrations and the agony, the suffering, all of it, God is using it so that I will become more like Jesus. Now, why is that? Well, the reason is because the Bible says we are joint heirs with Christ. Did you know we who are followers of Jesus will one day rule over creation with Jesus? Did you know that? Uh, That's what the Bible says we will do for all eternity. You and I, we will worship Jesus, absolutely. We will have fun without a shadow of a doubt. But God is preparing us to rule and reign with Him forever. That's why it's so important that you and I become like Jesus. Because one day we're going to rule with Jesus. We are heirs with Him to everything that the Father has. So I can assure you as a believer, no matter what is happening in your life, everything is going according to plan. Maybe not yours, but everything is going according to His plan. And if you doubt that, then look at the cross. Because at the cross, God took the most evil event in human history, the murder of His Son, the Son of God, and He made a way of salvation for each and every one of us. God took an old, rugged cross, and He turned it into a bridge of blessing. And if God took the cross and through it brought about our salvation, then God certainly can take any pain and suffering and heartache and despair you have and bring good out of it as He is seeking to make you more like Jesus. And so my question for you this morning is this. Do you really want to be more like Jesus? Do you really? Because if you do, it's going to change the way you look at Everything. And you will be able to see that all things are working together to bring about the good that God has planned for us that love Him, who are called according to His purpose. And what is His purpose? To make us like His Son. So cheer up, quit worrying. Don't fret. God's got this. And though it may be painful and though it may be hurtful, it is temporary and we have hope. And we have help. And we know why God is doing it. Amen? Now here's the question. Are you going to submit to it? Are you going to trust Him? Are you going to learn what it is that God wants you to learn through the process of life. But the second question is this. For those of you who are not yet children of God, 
You don't love him like the Bible says we're to love him. You've never given your life to him. Are you really wanting to spend the rest of your life and then all eternity separated from what God created you to be in the first place? I would think the answer would be no. But as we're going to see next week, God gives you the freedom to make that decision. And so if you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never trusted his plan. You've never surrendered your will to his. Then I want to encourage you today to bow your head with me and everyone else here. And pray this prayer. Dear God, I come to you this morning. Humbly asking you to forgive all my sins. I know you love me. I know you died on the cross, Jesus, to save me. You rose from the grave to defeat sin and death for me. And today I'm trusting you. I'm giving you my life. Save me, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Jesus, more than anything else, I want to trust you. Not just for eternity, but I want to trust you in this life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.